Acts chapter 1. Please recall that we're doing a, an overview or a summary of Acts chapter 1. We've gone through and taken it bit by bit, but now we're trying to get all the pieces together um, and, and really, really, really see what we would, we, we, what the Lord would have us to see in Acts chapter 1. The better we see Acts chapter 1, the better we see the rest of the book. Truly. Um, again, a lot of confusion comes out of misinterpretation of the book of Acts, and there's not a foundational understanding of chapter 1. Uh, we had come as far as verse 8, uh, when he says, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So, and when he says, And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He starts to harmonize two very, very distinct ideas here. Uh, the, first, the first point that we should gather from verse 8 is that who he's talking to would be his witness. That would be the, the ultimate objective of the group he's talking to would be to broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. Be witnesses of him. Not, not promoters of self or not promoters of institution, but promoters of Jesus Christ. Go back to verse number 1. Of all that Jesus both began to do and to teach. Well, he was, he was, he's the mediator of the new covenant, meaning he is the one who died and made the will good and sure of God. If you think about somebody leaving a will... Uh, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about a testator and a testator, and, and the will doesn't become effective until the testator dies. Well, Jesus Christ, being the, the mediator of the new covenant, when he lived and died for his people, he made the promises of God sure in his gospel. And that's, that's a, it's a very amazing thing, a, a wondrous thing. So to be a witness of that, we know what a witness is. You know what a witness is, right? When we say we're witnessing, what are we doing? Are we, are we just th- saying what, what this, this Bible says? We should declare Scripture. We no doubt should. When he says, you shall be witnesses of me, he says, yes, according to Scripture, you shall be tell- testifying of things of pertaining to Christ. So in our witness today, in your witness today, it is good to, to, to recite Scripture but also as that demoniac in Mark chapter 5, go and tell what great things that the Lord has done for you. Okay, So witnesses of him. The Lord's people must then, to be a witness of Jesus Christ, you must be a saved person. That just makes sense, right? Yeah. If, if someone is called to a witness stand in a court of law, but they had no intimate knowledge of the case or the hearing or the proceedings or, or anything involved, not even an expert witness. If, if, if they have no objective, or no, they have no no say in anything there. They're not going to be called to be a witness. An unsaved person who is not intimate with Jesus Christ in a spiritual way, meaning they're not born again, they have no witness. It, it'd be like me talking about a car accident that I wasn't even aware of. It'd be like that man that ran before uh, over to King David and wanted to t- say something. Oh, he just wanted to say something, but he didn't know what what happened to Absalom. Remember that guy. <laughs> He said, what do you have to say? Well, I don't have anything to say, but I'm here and I'm, you know, whatever. No, a person that is going to be a witness of Jesus Christ would be one that is acquainted with him and has experienced the power of the, of, of, uh, of the gospel according to Jesus Christ. When he says, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, that's another subject. 
This is a group that the Lord Jesus Christ has established, right? So here's a group, and we know it as the Lord's church, the Lord's assembly. He established his assembly way back in the, in the book of Luke. He called uh, those up. He went up to the mountain to pray, came down and called his 12 disciples, uh, apostles, and they were of the disciples. And we're going to read as you go forward in Acts chapter 1 that there's 120 in that upper room. So you have here the Lord's church, okay? And the Lord's church is going to be given power or authority or ability through the Holy Spirit to do certain things throughout time. In Acts chapter 2, they were going to speak in tongues. Okay, The power is not you shall receive power to speak in tongues throughout all, you know, the church age. The power that is given to the, or the ability that is given to the Lord's assembly that was established by the Lord Jesus Christ is to be the witness of Jesus Christ in, in, unto, uh, unto Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in, unto the uttermost part of the earth. Okay, that, That's the ability that was given that would come to the Lord's assembly that was already established. So now marry the two ideas. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for his people. He shall save his people from their sins. The gospel of Jesus Christ was given to a people for a testimony, and that people is his assembly. And they have power and ability to broadcast that message everywhere, in every place, at all times where they are. Does that make sense? That's what the book of Acts is all about. It's not about, it's not about putting the hands on a guy that's laying by the temple and, and rise up and walk. We don't have that ability today. But what did they say? In the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. The gospel was preached, right? In Acts chapter 2, and all that excitement and, and the tongues, and then Peter stilled them down and said, Hey, look, let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he quoted half the book of Joel and some of the Psalms. The gospel was broadcasting. Yeah. That, w- that is the function of the Lord's assembly, is to broadcast the gospel. And the power or ability to do so is given by God Almighty. Turn over, if you would please, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and begin reading with me in verse 25. The Lord Jesus Christ is talking about this very thing. But this cometh to pass, verse 25, chapter 15, verse 25. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter has come, the Holy Ghost, whom I will send unto you from the Father. Who is he talking to? He's, they're going from the upper room out there to, to Gethsemane. He's talking to the, to, to the apostles, right, who are representative of the church. It's not the apostles uh, exclusively, but they are the leadership there of that church. But when the Comforter has come, who I'll send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, who proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So when, we, when he tells them, you shall be my witness... And you're going to receive the Comforter. The Comforter will give you ability to be his witness. Do you, do, you see, do you see how these things go together? And ye also shall bear witness because you have seen, been with me from the beginning. Okay, so you shall be my witness. Because you would be a person that could give testimony of who Jesus is and what he does. Yes, I believe that Jesus Christ came to save his people from their sins. And I know that because the Bible says it. I also know that because I have experienced it. I was granted repentance. I was, I was granted that God showed me what a vile sinner I am. I was granted repentance. I was given life and faith in Jesus Christ. 
and a hope that is sure in his death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, these words are true, and I know they're true because he did these things to me. It's not true because of my experience, but my experience is consistent with what the word of God says. We sing a song. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Do you ever remember that song? You might not recognize it because I'm singing it out of tune. How do you know? You shall receive power. And yes, every person that has been saved testifies of their salvation. But the ye shall receive power is specific and exclusive to the people that he is talking to. Okay? He didn't say everyone shall receive power or ability. He said ye shall receive power or ability. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Well, who is the you? Was it exclusive to the apostles? No, I believe uh, those in, in that room. of the It might have been every one of the 120. I don't know, but it wasn't just the apostles, I believe. But they received ability to be witnesses of him. That's what Philip did way over there talking to that eunuch in the chariot, right? Wasn't he given power or ability to testify of Christ and be the witness of Jesus Christ? He sure was. Wasn't Paul, as he goes all over the place, even if you, if you turn, look, go back to, the, to the, the back of the book of Acts. Turn all the way to the, the end of the book of Acts here. Acts chapter 28, verse uh, verse 29. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Well, we know what happened to Paul in Rome. I believe Second Timothy is basically, he wrote his own eulogy. He said he's ready to be offered and he's run the good race and he's fought the good fight and all that stuff. But confidence and boldness and ability to go everywhere, even unto the king's palace, the lion's den. We read in Philippians how those of Caesar's house greet you. Even in that place, the gospel was preached. And, the, and Paul, as a person, was given ability, power, to witness Jesus Christ in everywhere. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Power or ability. As we go through the book of Acts, you're going to see when, when, Paul, when Saul of Tarsus went and made havoc on the church, guess what? They scattered and the word of God prevailed, didn't it? And when the Lord saved Paul and there was rest among the churches, guess what? They grew confident and bold because they had seen what the Lord had done to Paul and the word of God again was broadcast. It, the, the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel continued through his assembly. An amazing, amazing thing. An amazing thing. And when he had spoken these things in verse 9, they, that while they beheld him, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked there steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Why, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So the gospel, he said, you're going to receive power. You're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit coming from the Father to testify of me. 
They saw his ascension, and we covered this before. I believe they were given ability to see his ascension so that it was undeniable what they just saw. And as they strained to see him all the more, he disappeared out of their sight. And these two men, uh, perhaps angels, said unto them, What are you doing? He gave you something to do. He said, Go back to Jerusalem in, in Luke chapter 24 and wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit. Why are you looking up into heaven? He gave you your marching orders. Remember, we took away from that that even today there are still those that are looking up into heaven. They're so, they're so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. We've been given command to be test, to have testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and have assurance that he is coming back. There's no doubt he is coming back. He is coming back. We've read several times in the book of Hebrews how we ought to provoke one another in love and good works so much more as you see the day approaching. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. He's coming back. He's coming back. Go tell somebody that Jesus Christ lives. Tell them of the gospel. Tell them of the wondrous sound that Jesus saves. Tell them. Why stand ye gazing? Why stand ye? He's coming back. Isn't that something? That, that thrills my heart that he's coming back. There's, there's some that their hearts shouldn't be thrilled that he's, that he's coming back because there's, there's going to be a time of great tribulation. There's going to be a time where, where, where men and women call on the rocks to fall on them. That we think it's hot out here now. When one-fourth of the earth is scorched and men are cursing God rather than repent, that's going to be a heat wave. Yes, it'll be terrible. It'll be ter- and then he's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives and, and make war. The, 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 the divine warrior is going to make war against the ungodly and go into his kingdom. That's, that's terrible to think about for the unbeliever. But you know, for the believer, those that are anticipating the rapture of Jesus Christ, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians that those are comforting words. With, 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 the, with a shout and the, and the voice of a trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together and ever live with the Lord. That's some pretty amazing stuff, isn't it? Oh, he's coming back. He's coming back. Just because he said it 2,000 years ago, you can read in Second Peter, all oh, you people have always been talking about the second coming. Since the days of the flood, you've been talking about it. Yeah, and the world that was once held with that water is now held in reservation under fire. He is coming back. He's coming back. Behold, the Lord cometh, said Enoch the seventh from Adam. He's coming back. Hallelujah. He's coming back. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? He only does wondrous things, so for him to come back, it has to be wonderful. Praise God. He's coming back. So if he's coming back, yes, we gather together and we assure one another and we in the gospel. And we, it, 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 it pumps me up to think about these things. And we ought to be encouraged in these things. But we can't just be sitting in this room looking up to heaven. Yes, we, we go out, we broadcast the gospel. That, that very power or ability that God gave that early church, I believe, in measure, is still with his people today. He said, lo, I am with you even unto the end of the age. The ability to be his witness, God has never taken from his people. Why would he? It would make no sense for him to relieve his people of that ability to be the witness of Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit does. He comes from the Father. He witnesses of Christ. Why stand we here gazing? We then saw in verses 12 through 15, you see the harmony of the early church that was already in existence. Thank God for the spirit of unity. Look at here. Then they ret- then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, not less than a mile. 
And they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. 11. These all continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication with, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Okay? And in those days, verse 15, Peter stood in the midst of, his disciples, of the disciples and said the number of the names together were about 120. 120 people in harmony, in unity, in one accord, in one fellowship, of one-mindedness together. If you think about it, go through here. At least several of these people had written books of this Bible, right? You might think that, humanly speaking, there was some ego in that room, wouldn't you say? And then for one of them to stand up, his name was Peter, one of them stand up and, 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 and start uh, making message here un, unto the, the early church, you might think there might be division here, but as you read through, there is nothing but harmony in the Lord's assembly. Well, that's an ability given from God also. It is difficult, even in a house, for people to stay united consistently and persistently and desire to do so, let alone this church family in Acts chapter 1 of 120. You have 120 people. You remember that 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 uh, the mother of John and James that they were that she went before the Lord and said, "Hey, can my sons be be uh, number one and number two? Sit on your right, sit on your left in your kingdom." And, he, and the Lord said, "That's not for me to say. That's that's for the Father to say." But even in, among the the apostles, at times there was division and there was snarkiness and there was bitterness and there was there was angst against one another. But now you have in this room. You go back in, in the, 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 the final chapters of the book of Luke and, and you see how these people were sitting in fear and in doubt. And the Lord says, fear not. And they're unified now, having seen him, having experienced with the eyes and experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were unified in that cause to be his witness. Yes, it could have meant their death before they scattered uh, Peter, uh, they, they all ran. They were afraid. They didn't. Want, they don't want to be found with that man named Jesus who was crucified. But now it'd be hard to hide 120 people in downtown Jerusalem days after this this crucifixion. But here they are, unified in one accord, thirsty, thirsty to be obedient unto God. You see how how efficient. And sufficient God's word is the efficiency and sufficiency of God's word. We experienced that when Brother DeWitt came here. It was efficient and sufficient, wasn't it? Uh, the things that we stood in need of, boom, there they were. That's exciting. It really is the efficiency and sufficiency of God's word. Verses 16 through 20. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased the field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Asadama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. So we have to be really careful when we look at in, in Scripture. There are, there are some people that look so hard at Scripture in its literal sense that they would say if the initial reader didn't know what was being talked about, it can't have an application for today. Well, that doesn't make any sense. 
You read the book of Daniel, there's some prophecy, and then the man said, hey, Daniel, what does that even mean? He said, I don't know. But there are things that we can look at now and say, wow, yeah, that's Medo-Persia, and that, that was, this is Rome, right? There, there are some things that in Scripture that, that learning has increased. There truly are. So when Peter at this time, uh, did, the, did the immediate audience of the book of the, 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 the Psalms say, you know what, there's coming a man, his name is going to be, be, going to be Judas, and he's going, to, he's going to betray the Lord Jesus Christ? Probably not. I would say most likely not. But in that day, there was, there was a, the, the, the preaching of the word of God, it, it was efficient and sufficient for that time, you see. The, there are some that question, well, how in the world can, can the entire world see the two witnesses dead at the same time? Well, people that might have asked that question 50 years ago weren't aware of satellite television and and a worldwide viewing of something happening in one place, you see. It could happen now. It truly could. So when he preached this message, you see here, again, the efficiency and sufficiency of, of the Word of God. In the Word of God, they were told as a people exactly what they should be doing. Sometimes it's hard for us to, to, to really get a hold of that. We're ex- so excited about grace. I'm excited about sovereign grace and election but sometimes we're so I can be so busy in my study that okay this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now this this, this is how I'm supposed to be behaving the passage that he read told them exactly what they should be doing that they should have another person fill that office of being an apostle so they did how wonderful is it that the word of god is both efficient and sufficient now in a general sense, can someone read the Word of God and it be efficient and sufficient? Absolutely. But God is not giving fuel and ability for everyone everywhere just to pick up this Bible and it be efficient and sufficient. Who did He give ability to? Who did He give power to? He gave it to His, his assembly, right? Go back in the book of Luke. Please, Luke chapter 24. We have to understand this. Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. And he said unto them, who's them? Well, it's not all of his assembly, but it's the leadership of his assembly, the apostles. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Who opened their understanding? He. Christ did. Whose understanding did he open? Them. They. There. Who are they? His assembly. That they. Who? His, the, the leadership there. The assembly. The apostles. They might understand the scriptures. Does the Lord open up everyone's understanding that they might understand the scriptures? No. But efficiently and sufficiently in his assemblies, in the pillar and ground of the truth... He does open the understanding of the feeble of the feeble-minded. That's that's who I am. That's who we are. He opens our understanding that we might understand the scriptures. Well, how was it that Peter was able to say that nobody else saw that stuff? Well, why can all of a sudden Peter? Why does he see that? Because he opened up his understanding that he might understand the scriptures. 
Oh, that 120, how many of them were like, nah, that's not what that means, Peter. No, he opened up their understanding too. So as a group, they were all learning and growing with understanding in the scriptures by the work of God, by the power of God, efficiently and sufficiently. You ever heard a message that came exactly right on time? I know I have. Right on time. Praise God. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, right? Bless you. I've told you all that, uh, that, that growing up that, that I thought my dad had like a, you know, some private investigators out on me efficiently and sufficiently. The word of God comes right on time. That's what happened in Acts chapter 1, and we can rely on that. You know, when, when Brother, excuse me, Brother DeWitt, he had said a couple times from the pulpit that he didn't feel like he was sufficient. He, he, he hoped he lived up to expectation with the preaching of the Word of God. I didn't have hope in Brother DeWitt. I had hope in God that he would efficiently and sufficiently teach us from, from the Word of God. That's why we invite these people. And that's presumably why I get invited other places. I don't know what's going on in other places. But the word of God, God himself, is efficient and sufficient in his word. We don't have to go out to the book of Enoch, and we don't have to read through the Maccabees, and I don't have to have to read anything else, and everybody else's interpretation, or even try to find out what Oprah says about stuff. No, the word of God is efficient and sufficient. It is. You see also in that same passage, in verses 16 through 20, that while John and James and several others, had, they, had, they had just been there with Christ and they had a very wonderful understanding that God had given, uh, that God had given Peter a, a specific office and that was to lead in that assembly. You would say even pastoral authority. Peter was not a perfect person. Remember, just a few days ago, he had swiped somebody's ear off. Just a few days ago, he was, he was cussing and saying, no, I don't know who that guy is. Just a little while before that, the Lord said, hey, come out here on the water. And his faith failed him, and he sank like a rock. Peter, oh, yes, I see these three men. Let's, let's, take, let's make two shrines for two of them, but we'll make you the bigger shrine, Lord, at Transfiguration. What a dumb thing to say. He wasn't a perfect person. So for people to say that Peter was a perfect person and logical for this office, well, that's who the Lord had said. The Lord said, feed my sheep. The Lord said, strengthen the brethren when thou art restored, didn't he? He did. He told him that. So you see here, Peter also, in studying the scriptures and knowing the scriptures, being led of God, he told them, he led them in the things that they should be doing. You also see in chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, there was a man that was called the son of perdition, the son of destruction. That verifies what we already know out of Romans chapter 9, that there are just some vessels of wrath that are fitted for just that. They're formed, they're purposed unto wrath. They're reprobate. Judas was reprobate. It's not like Jesus saved, the Lord Jesus Christ saved Judas but couldn't hold on to him hard enough. No, he was always set aside unto destruction. A vessel fitted or formed or made to destruction. In this passage, you see the idea of reprobation. You see, we could read through Romans chapter chapter 10 and, and you know the passage. But who hath believed our report? And he's looking back to to the book of Isaiah. I don't know who reprobate who's reprobate. And neither did Peter. Even at the supper, they were all saying, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Reprobation. So what do we know as, as an assembly who's been given uh, power or ability to be witnesses of Jesus Christ? We're to do that in, in, in harmony and in accord. But what are we also to learn from that? Not every person that we tell, even if they look and sound good, not every person that we tell is a child of God. There are those that are reprobate. 
You can see throughout the, the New Testament, these, uh, these epistles, these letters, that there are warnings. Wolves will come in. Certain men have crept in unawares. These are they that, that, are, uh, that are ungodly. and they, they, they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. You see, they're always reprobate, even among the Lord's assembly. And he gives them a heads up. He says, hey, look, this is what happened. If it happened in the first church, Jesus Christ present. It can happen in every assembly. So he cautions us. We can read cautionary words out of chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, that there are reprobate. You see apostleship in verses 21 through 22. Look at, look at verses 21 through 22. Wherefore these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, being from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. The apostle Pete, uh, Paul, as he wrote concerning himself, he, he said, he described himself as one that was, that was born out of time or out of season, that, that, he did, that because Christ had come to him and taught him personally, that, that there was a variation of his apostleship. He wasn't exactly like these others that were called apostles, but an apostle nonetheless, called by God, but out of, as, as if out of season. But you see here, these apostles, there aren't more modern apostles, but, but these were apostles in that day. How important was it to be an apostle? We studied when we were going through apostleship that, that even their names would be on the foundations of the New Jerusalem. It, it's an important office. I don't believe that, it was, that it's um, Paul's name that's on the foundation there. I believe it's Matthias. I really do. You read the other 11 and you read Matthias, and I believe that's the foundations there of the New Jerusalem. Why is that important? Well, if, you know, people do all kinds of stuff to get their name on a wall. Lexi and I were going to try to kill ourselves eating a 30-inch pizza a couple of years ago on Texarkana just to get our picture on the wall and a free T-shirt. For the glory of God, how wonderful it is that God would be so merciful to bestow the grace and the blessing upon human beings that their names are, for the glory of God, that their names will be named there on that new Jerusalem. I believe that the, the office of apostleship truly was a, a high honor and calling. It was a wonderful office there. But you see there, the reasons why or how they could be an apostle, beginning from the baptism of John, you have to be a member of one of the Lord's churches, not a church anywhere based on your, your choosing. When I was a kid, there was a little show that used to come on, Mr. Cartoon. And at the end of every every show, Mr. Cartoon would, would say, you know, say your manner, manner words, yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, thank you, please, and all this kind of stuff. And we also say, have your parents take, take you to the church or synagogue of your choice. Well, God is not Mr. Cartoon. And he doesn't say, yes, go to the church or synagogue of your choice. He has his assembly. And in his assembly, he has his leadership structure. We already saw the pastor being listed in his leadership structure. But you also see here uh, apostles. I'm not an apostle. I don't believe there are any living apostles today. But it's part of his assembly. And we know that because it begins from the baptism of John. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. John's baptism. Does it come from men or come from heaven? That's what the Lord Jesus Christ asked, right? So baptism, then, in the Lord's assembly, those that were going to be apostles must be a member, must be saved, must be a, a member of the Lord's assembly, must be one ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection, right? And, and, and they were there, right? But he also, it says that, they, that he accompanied with us all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. 
Until that same day he was taken up from us. That's what it says in verse 22. What does that mean? That means even in the dark days they didn't scatter. Even when it was hard and it didn't make sense, they believed yet. They were given by the power of God to believe even and especially when it didn't make sense. Apostleship. Now, I haven't been there since the days that Lord Jesus Christ went in and out, but that's something that all of us should have in common is that that we must be, uh, even in dark days and days when it would be so easy to not believe God, that we would be a witness of his resurrection. What was the power given to them all about to be a witness of him? What was the apostleship all about to be a witness of his resurrection? Well, this higher office is simply just an extension of what the body was to be doing anyway. Right? Uh, it's an office that the body was to be doing anyway. So, you see apostleship. You see church discretion in verse 23. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was named Justice, surnamed Justice and Matthias. Church discretion. How about that? Of 120, then they called it down to two. Well, you can take 11 out because they were apostles. And I don't know how many women they were because they had to be naming a man. So it, it narrowed it down quite a bit, just those factors. But I don't think there was just three people and they picked two out of the three. The church there showed discretion based on what the scriptures said. There wasn't... Okay, so there's a... There's a football game that we play sometimes, video games, and there's a little arrow over the person that you're controlling, right? I don't believe that the Holy Spirit put little arrows over the heads of, uh, of Matthias and Joseph and said, well, these are the two that you want to pick. No, these people having discretion based on what the Word of God said and based on the limitations of apostleship that were laid out there, these people showed discretion. Yeah, that's a quality guy. Yeah, that, that's a quality guy. That's a similar process is what happened when they were uh, when they were looking at at, at uh, deaconship. Okay, look in Acts chapter six. They're going to apply the same principles when they, when they're when they're looking for deacons. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there was a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the, of the disciples unto them. And said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. And then you can go on from there. But they were to have discretion, or they were to have a value to property according to what they were told and according to what the word of God said of, how, of the men that they were supposed to choose, right? It wasn't about hurting feelings and it wasn't about pride. It was about showing discretion according to, to godly conduct and, 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 and toward these godly offices here. Church discretion. When y'all uh, invited me to be your pastor, what, what process did we take? Now, y'all said, yes, we want you to come be our pastor, but there was an ordination service first, right? So before y'all said, yes, we will install him to be our pastor. Sometimes they, the uh, churches get the cart before the horse. They say, okay, he's our pastor, and now we're going to ordain him. That process is backwards. You have to go through the process of ordination. And then once examined, yeah, this is a guy that, that, you know, that fits the descriptions of the band that we want according to the word of God. Yes, as a church with discretion, we vote to have him, install him as our pastor. Church discretion. Church discretion. They appointed two. There was harmony. And you notice that, that the harmony, harmony continues, Right? The harmony continued there. There was no breach in harmony. Once this discretion was shown, 
they, they, uh, they said, okay, we'll live with it. They depended on God on how to move also. Verse 24, and they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. So in discretion, they also were relying on leadership of God. Making any kind of move without prayer is just insane. Right. Making any kind of move without without relying on God to lead in that move is just insane. There are many people that just destroy their lives because they lean on their own understanding and and the foolishness of their own hearts. Yep. The fool has said in his heart uh, that there is no God, but the way of the fool is right in his own eyes as well. You see, uh, so don't I encourage you not to be foolish at all whatsoever. Depend on God and understanding and all that you do in everything. We also see in verses 23 through 26, we saw that Joseph Barsabbas called justice, that he was a true hero of that early church. He maintained that unity in that local body by not creating upset when he his name was not called. It would be super easy for us to get upset, wouldn't it? Well, I want to do, I want to do it my way. Well, the body says we're doing it this way. Oh, okay. Well, I, I think I think we should have uh, yes install a twelfth apostle, but have one on standby just in case uh, something happens to one of these men. We don't have to even think about it. We'll just have a, a you know a reserve. Well, no, we're not supposed to have a reserve. We're supposed to have twelve. Think about it. Think hard here. Of these twelve, was anyone ever else replaced? Did they ever have another meeting and say, you know what, we're going to keep twelve and to and just keep on going with it? Mm-mm. Moving forward, as these men died off, and, and James, his head was cut off, and, and all, these, all these things were happening, the number of the apostles dwindled. They were reserved back to 12 here, and from there on, the number only went down to zero, right? So they weren't supposed to do it their way. There wasn't a, an, a, a, an alternate system. There, there wasn't, hey, let, let's kind of tweak it. There wasn't a, I want to do my thing, No. Under leadership of, of God Himself, through His Word, this pastor said, "Okay, this is this is what we're supposed to be doing," and they did it, and they maintained one accord there. That was so amazing, so amazing. In one accord, you can see that they continued in one accord in chapter two of Acts, verses four hundred one and forty-two. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and, this, and the same day were added unto them about three thousand souls, one hundred twenty to three thousand. Oh man, how did that go? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. Didn't change a thing. They continued in harmony. We know the apostles were set first there in the church, and we read that last time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. You can't have an apostle set first in the church and not have a church. So you got apostles, there was a church, the apostles were set first in the church. They continued in one accord. Let's, let's read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want, you to, I want you to put your eyeballs on it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, he gave them authority to be witnesses of him. Them authority. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 28. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles. We, again, if they're, if they're putting apostles, if they're voting on apostleship in chapter 1, there must then be a, a church in chapter 1. You can't put an apostle, you can't pour water into a glass that doesn't exist, right? You can't install an apostle into an assembly that doesn't exist. 
The Lord had already commissioned his people. He had already given them command. And he had already given them many promises. He had already told them, be my witness. And they were there, that 120 representative of that first assembly. Were all the members there that day? I don't know. A good many of them were. So the Acts, the book of Acts takes off from here. You can't start in Acts chapter 2. Many people want to start their study of the book of Acts in chapter 2, and you simply can't do that. Simply can't. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Look at this. Now Peter and, excuse me, chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Okay? So in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, you, you have to have an understanding, an understanding of verse 1. Who was the they? Right? Yeah, the day was come. Who was the they? And who was the all? The, they all. Was that everybody everywhere? No, that was his assembly that he commissioned and given those charges to in verse chapter 1. The, those that had appointed an apostle. The, those that were to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they were all with one accord or had one mind, one focus in one place. Rutro. If you're a person that believes in a universal church, you can't read that very well in one place. I believe in a local church. There was a time years ago that Sister Jill and I, we would pass by where Brother Crace pastors in Kentucky and drive about 100 miles to go to the church where my dad pastored. And after a little while, I thought, you know what, this is crazy. I say that I believe in a local church, but I'm 100 miles away from the, where, my, where, I, I had, where my name is on the roll, but... How well could I serve this community being part of this local church? I, I can't be in one place if I'm, I'm somewhere else, right? The local church. It talks about the local church. In one harmony, in one chord, in one place, they were all come. And ecclesia is a called out assembly. Amen. Right? You, you can't have a called out assembly. You can't be a sin. You can't be in the assembly if you're not assembled, right? And in chapter 2, we read in verses 41 and 42, they continued in the apostles' doctrine, but they did that through baptism and authority and doing the things that the Lord had told them in chapter 1. It's a continuation. From there on, there is no vertical authority. It's horizontal authority. This assembly was not started horizontal. I mean, we didn't start here from authority from on high. We started from authority that Christ gave from on high back in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and has gone horizontally, church by church, generation by generation. Since that time, there has been no, there has been no new reformation. There has, God has not come down to start another assembly. This is it. And the, the, the authority has, has transferred from, from assembly to assembly to assembly until this day. He said, lo, I am with you until the end of the age. I believe that's how it happens. So we have to understand that the focus, the focus of Acts chapter 1 is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The authorized mechanism of broadcasting the gospel of Jesus Christ is the assembly that he established while on this earth. The sole source of prescriptive behavior is the word of God. For the people of God, specifically his assembly. The sole method of entrance into his assembly is baptism. And we know that because minimally the apostles, their, their standard of practice, one of the primary features of being an apostle is they had to be there from the beginning of the baptism of John. It says there in verse 22. 
The Lord, we're to serve the Lord through his church, his local assembly, and that assembly that would have that authority. And the focus of the assembly is to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simple as that. Simple as that. I know it sounds like a lot. But Acts chapter 1 is so rich. It's so beautiful. It points to Christ in every way. And it encourages the people of God to serve and trust him through his assembly as he gave it power through the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of him everywhere and uh, in all place until the end of the age. How wonderful. As much as it was a high honor to be an apostle, children of God, you ought to be considered a high honor to be a member of one of the Lord's assemblies. ought to really consider that a high honor. No other, no other group in the world, no other assembly, you know, you're going through Rome and going through Reformation and going through all that stuff, none of those people have authority to be the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. None of them. How wonderful, how wonderful it is that God has both revealed and placed his people in his assembly such as it pleased him. That's, that's a wonderful thing. Such an anomaly. You think about the anomaly of life, the cosmic anomaly of life in the universe. Well, going through time, think of the cosmic anomaly of the new birth among the children of men. It's a narrow gate. We can read that in Matthew 7. It's a narrow gate. And even further, as time goes on, you can read through that trail of blood. As time goes on, the understanding of the, the, the purpose and existence and function of the Lord's assembly has dwindled over time to the point where now it's, it's hardly understood. Again, the astronomical anomaly that one will be counted faithful in the Lord's assembly by the grace of God. Thank, just thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God for such grace. Sinner, I encourage you to repent and believe the gospel. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 8. He says, You shall be witnesses unto me. The Lord Jesus Christ, he was born of a woman, yet God, deity, God in the flesh. He could not sin, he would not sin. He was born of a woman. The, the, the sin nature, I don't know if you knew this or not, the sin nature is passed on along by male DNA. How, how can he be born of a woman but not have the nature of man because he did not receive male DNA in that function? He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was without sin. Tempted in all points, yet without sin. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. He lived an impeccable life. His ministry began in his baptism. He didn't need it to be saved. He did it to fulfill all righteousness, to show his death, burial, and resurrection, but also be the chief cornerstone in his assembly. The Lord Jesus Christ is a member of his assembly. I don't know if you knew that or not. In his baptism, that's what he did. He lived. He ministered. He healed the sick. He made the dead to live. He cast out demons. But greater than all, he went to Calvary, bore the wrath of God for me. It's great if he bore it for someone else, but I love it that he bore the, my, God's wrath for me. The just for the unjust. As a sinner, I'm a sinner. He's not. He took my sin and God judged him for it. He cried out, it is finished. Father, into, my hand, into thy hands receive my spirit. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He just died. He buried Rose again the third day. They saw him ascend into the heaven, accepted of the Father. How wonderful it is that Jesus Christ died for sinners. Outside of that gospel, one can only expect the judgment of God. 
in that gospel, the judgment of God, the wrath of God. He saw the travail of his soul, Christ's soul, and was satisfied. I encourage you to quit yourself. Repent of yourself. Repent of your sin. Look unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. Upon repentance, be baptized into the Lord's assembly and serve him faithfully. These are all gifts of God. Yet not one can blame God for their rebellion. Not one, not one can blame God for their disobedience. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.